Since nearly a quarter of the U.S. population is under 18 years old, effective herd immunity against COVID-19 is going to require pediatric vaccination. Measles and measles vaccination campaigns may offer relevant insights that could help support effective vaccination programs against COVID-19. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Perry Klass, a professor of journalism and pediatrics at New York University. Dr. Klass has co-authored a perspective article about lessons from measles for vaccinating children against COVID-19. Dr. Klass, you write in your perspective article that the United States will need children to help us achieve herd immunity against COVID-19. So what's known about plans or timelines for launching vaccine trials in pediatric populations? Well, uh, there are some trials underway right now, and I was actually just reading this morning that Dr. Fauci was saying that it might be possible to start vaccinating at least older children already this spring or early summer. So it is happening. The trials are taking place. As you know, one of the vaccines that's been approved is approved down to the age of 16, but nothing has so far been tested and approved lower than that. So based on what's known about those vaccines that are available, do physicians expect them to be safe and effective in children? Or do you think that new or modified vaccines are going to be needed? I don't think there's any reason that anyone has come up with why they would be less safe in children. But given all of the unanswered questions that we have right now about why children do or don't get infected, do or don't get sick, the way that this particular virus interacts with the child's immune system, especially in younger children, I think we're going to have to wait and see how the trials go. Over a period of several months, tens of thousands of adults were enrolled in COVID-19 vaccine studies. Do you see different or additional challenges involved when it comes to recruiting children for such trials? Well, the reason measles is an interesting parallel is because this is not a virus which is most terrifyingly dangerous to children. It's scary for everyone. It's scary for all of us. But children have not, and this is as a pediatrician, we're grateful, Children are not the ones in most acute danger. So when you recruited children historically, say, as polio pioneers, you were asking children and you were asking their parents to let them participate because it was a chance to defeat something which was terrifying to parents, terrifying for children. The reason that we thought measles was an interesting analogy is how do you explain the necessity of vaccination in a situation where the children, for the most part, are not the ones at the highest risk. And in fact, part of, as we wanted to say, when you talked about the herd immunity, obviously children are a very, very important part of our herd. But both in trials and when it comes to vaccination, some of the reason to vaccinate children is to protect the children and to avoid the rare but serious complications of COVID infection in children. But some of the point of vaccination, everyone will understand, is to protect their teachers, their grandparents, the more vulnerable parts of the population with whom children interact and for whom they're very important. So given all of that, how do you see the vaccination of children fitting into the plans that are going to be necessary to reopen schools around the country? 
That's going to be a very complicated question to resolve. And whether it will happen state by state or whether we're going to make national decisions, I think is going to be a really important question. Are you going to say for schools to reopen safely, children need to be vaccinated? Historically, we know that those vaccine mandates can work, that they can help increase vaccination rates. But the lesson that I think we're learning over and over and over is that they don't work by themselves. You need to explain what you're doing. You need to communicate successfully. You need trusted messengers, especially for vulnerable populations, for populations which have been in the past hurt by medical neglect or systemic racism. You need to explain what you're doing. You can't just make a law. But having said that, you can also see that trying to explain why this is so important it also can be helpful to make some rules. And when you think about protecting the vulnerable populations, which are going to include not just the teachers, but everybody else who works around schools and works with children in schools, but it also includes all the people, as we know, as we keep learning over and over again, living at home with the children when they go back and forth. In that regard, once a COVID-19 vaccine is available to children, how do we avoid ending up with the type of inequities in access that played out for the measles vaccines? So the inequities with the measles vaccine had a lot to do with the way the vaccine was initially delivered. It was initially much more available to those who had private pediatricians. And the result of it being more available and kind of more on offer from private pediatricians and absent a sort of strong federal vaccination program and a strong push to get it into clinics and facilities serving less affluent populations was that you had a period, and we're reaching back here to the initial campaigns against measles, which started in the 60s and the 70s, you created a situation where measles became more predominantly a disease of Black or Hispanic children because they were not the ones getting served by those private offices. And I think the lesson since then, and we've seen this with delivering vaccines with vaccines for children, with delivering vaccines through federally qualified health centers, with making sure that no child is ever barred from vaccination because of insurance status, because of socioeconomic status, that getting vaccines to everyone is how you keep all of us safe. You talk in your article about the success of the rubella umbrella campaign to encourage MMR vaccination. So what did that campaign entail and what lessons would it offer for COVID-19 vaccination? Well, I'm the one who remembers the rubella umbrella campaign because I was going to elementary school in New York City during the late 1960s. It's a function of age. And there was this campaign on television that frankly spoke to children telling them, get your rubella umbrella, and explaining that this shot was not to protect you, it was to protect other people. Because if you got rubella and someone who was pregnant got it from you, it could do, as we all know, terrible damage to the developing fetus. It was kind of like appealing to children and explaining to them that they were doing something brave, something important, something heroic. And it was a powerful campaign. Children wanted the vaccine. They wanted the rubella umbrella. Public health got calls from parents because children saw these advertisements. And 
We probably nowadays, I don't know exactly how we feel about advertising directly to children on television, but I think the idea of explaining it, right? Here you had 17,000 parents calling the health department saying that their children sought the advertisements and wanted the vaccine. I think taking children seriously, explaining to them, this will protect you, and that way you're protecting other people. You're protecting your mom. You're protecting your teacher. You're protecting your friend's mom. You're doing something brave. You're doing something good. You're doing something to keep other people safe. I think that children, adolescents, respond well to that. I think we all do. I think the idea that you're doing something to take care of the people you love, especially right now in a pandemic when people have had this feeling of futility of what can I do? And I think it's the same message we should be sending to kids about wearing masks, that this is something that you do every day that actually protects other people. And I think that, again, it comes back to this idea of communication, this idea that you don't just tell people you must do this, you should do this. You thank them, you explain to them why what they're doing is protecting the people they care about most, and you trust them to want to do that. When we were talking about this, my co-author, Dr. Adam Ratner, who's a pediatric infectious disease specialist who actually was very involved in handling some of the recent measles outbreaks in New York City, and we were thinking about this question of how do you explain to parents the importance of vaccinating children to protect not only the children, but also the adults around them. The other thing about that rubella umbrella campaign was it was so damn catchy that all through medical school and residency, whenever anyone mentioned rubella and its terrible teratogenic effects or anything else, what I heard in my mind was that TV commercial for getting your rubella umbrella. And I would have these moments of thinking, I'm going to forget all of the important medical information that I carefully learned today and just wrote down and memorized, but I'm never going to forget the rubella umbrella commercial. So finally, and you've begun to answer this already, but based on your experience as a pediatrician, what other strategies do you think are necessary for addressing disinformation, for promoting trust in vaccines among parents and among the rest of the general public? That's such a good question, and it's a question which is not a new question in pediatrics, and it's a question that I think we're still learning how to answer, because confusion, hesitancy, deliberate disinformation about vaccines, it's one of the other lessons about measles, that specific vulnerable communities have been specifically targeted with, again, I'm sorry to keep using the same word, with specific disinformation, like the mailing that was sent out in Orthodox Jewish communities telling people falsely that the MMR vaccine contained a pig DNA and was therefore somehow unkosher. Just like the Somali community in Minnesota was targeted with disinformation, the Orthodox Jewish community. One of the things that I think that we've learned is that the specific communities that are sometimes targeted the answers need to come from the elders of the Somali community, from the rabbis in the Orthodox Jewish community. You need to be connected to the people who are really part of the community and respected by the community. And again, it's not enough to just have mandates. It's about communication. It's about education. It's about a certain humility when you come in and you say, 
here's why we're suggesting this. Here's why this is what I would do for my own community, for my own children, for the people I love. Can we do this together? But it's not a simple conversation, and it's never been a simple conversation. And you need both time, effort, and respect in the conversation. And you also need to think about who would be your best and most trustworthy messengers. And that may vary very much from community to community. Thank you, Dr. Class.